All morning long, the thought that's been going through my mind is, surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. Amen? Amen. I, through the music and the liturgy and the psalms, it really is true that when God's people lift up God in psalms, God makes himself known to God's people. His presence is palpable here today. I'm Mark Putman, one of the pastors here, and it is really good to be in worship with you today. As you know, this year during the season of Lent, we're reading daily and we're learning weekly from the scriptural songbook of our faith, the book of Psalms. Now, the Psalms were the songbook for ancient Israel, and they still are for us today, we who are their spiritual descendants. And so we're using our study of the Psalms to help teach us how to approach the Lord in prayer and to help us grow deeper in our personal relationship with the Lord as well. Now, the Psalms convey such a wide breadth of human emotions and feelings and experiences the 150 psalms found in the Bible are filled with a great variety of expressions. They range from poems about wisdom, lament, anger, sorrow. They also pour out praise and thanksgiving to God. And so the value of the psalms is that they help us channel our emotions before God, both negative and positive they allow us to express praise and pain and to receive God's words of comfort, hope, and challenge. Last Sunday, we reflected on the purposes of God's word as given to us in Psalms 1 and 2. Those two psalms are meant to be read as a pair, and they're meant to introduce to us the entire Psalter with all the important themes therein. We learned that people who read and meditate on God's word become happy or blessed. Delighting in God's word by reading and meditating on and then putting into practice the law of God leads to righteousness. While those who ignore and don't put into practice, God's laws are like fools of the wicked. This week we read some psalms of praise and thanksgiving, and the Psalter is absolutely filled with these types of psalms. As we read and meditate on psalms of praise, we begin to see more clearly the one who deserves our thanks and praise. God is glorified on the praises of his people, and the psalms have shown us how to do that for thousands of years. One such, one such psalm of praise, and one of the ones that we focused on this past week in our Bible reading plan, is Psalm 8. Hear these words from the psalmist. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. 
all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the seas, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Mm. What a great psalm of praise, right? Notice that this psalm both begins and ends with the same words of praise to God. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Like bookends that hold upright everything that comes between them, so it is with the praises of Almighty God. King David, who wrote this psalm, begins by addressing God by God's name, Yahweh. You'll remember that this is the name that God gave to Moses when Moses asked, what is your name? Who shall I tell the Egyptians is sending me? Yahweh can be translated, I am who I am, or the existing one, or the eternal one. It's not a very personal sounding proper name, is it? Instead, it's the name of God who creates everything. It's the name of the God who's enthroned on high, who's set apart, who's above everything. This name was so sacred in ancient Israel that people wouldn't even say it out loud. But then immediately, King David switches the name he calls God to Adonai, which means Lord. Now the word Lord in English is defined as someone who has power or authority or influence, a master or a ruler. And it's not only used to refer to God, but also to earthly lords in cultures where that is common, like in England, where we hear about lords and ladies or the house of lords in the English parliament. In the Old Testament, David and, and some of the other Israelite kings were referred to as Lord. And in 2 Kings 2.19, we even see that the prophet Elisha is being called Lord. So it's a much more personal kind of term, one that we're able to relate to. Yahweh, Adonai, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You see, David expresses in this psalm that God is both high and above everything that he has created, and he is as close as someone we can touch. The rest of Psalm 8 is also unique because David addresses God in the second person throughout it. Most other psalms of praise refer to God's character by talking about God in the third person. But here again, David is talking to God because God can be known as a you in the second person. It expresses a certain intimacy in the relationship between the psalmist and God. Six years ago, I took a trip out west. And while I was in the Grand Tetons, I went out one night to look up at the Milky Way. A friend that we were with was taking a nighttime photography class, learning to photograph the night sky. And as you can imagine, or as maybe you've witnessed yourself before, without the light 
pollution from so many close surrounding cities. The Milky Way galaxy is amazingly clear. I just stood there staring up at the immense black velvety sky with billions and billions of stars. And I was awestruck. I suddenly felt so small in a universe that is so, so big. Just one small person in, in a great big world that's nothing more than a tiny speck hurtling through space. The Milky Way, the galaxy which we call home, is 53,000 light years across. Which is so incredibly big because if I'm honest, I can't even get my head around how big one light year is. Can you? I mean, if you have to define the distance that something is in light years, it's too big for us to understand, right? And our galaxy is just one of 125 billion galaxies that God has created in our observable universe. It is in moments like these when we really begin to focus on God that we can no longer be the center of the universe. Oh, I know a lot of times we try and make it like we are, right? We think that we are, or we get so self-absorbed that we become the center of our own universe and we think that the whole world revolves around us. But this psalm, is all about the praise of God. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. In Psalm 103, another one of David's psalms, he shows us a picture of the praise of Almighty God centered around the heavenly throne room. Verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. David helps us see in these and other psalms that God is actually the center of the universe. That God is the one who deserves all our praise and thanksgiving. That God is the one without whom the universe would not even exist. You see, we cannot understand who we are until we understand who we are in relation to God. To really respect God's majesty we have to compare ourselves to his greatness. In 1715, King Louis XIV of France died. Louis XIV had the longest reign of any French king, 72 years. He had the most magnificent, the most extravagant court in all of Europe, and he planned his funeral to be just as spectacular. The king had instructed Bishop Massillon that upon his death he was to lie in state in a golden coffin at the cathedral in Paris. 
He further instructed that at his funeral service, the entire cathedral was to be completely dark, lit dimly by only one candle, positioned above the golden coffin, so that all would be awed by the late king's presence, even in death. When Louis died, Massillon did exactly as the king instructed. At the funeral, thousands of people waited in hushed silence as they peered at the exquisite cathedral that held the remains of their monarch, illumined by a single flickering candle. But as he began the king's funeral oration, and to the surprise of all, Massillon slowly reached down and snuffed out the candle representing the king's greatness. And then in the darkness he proclaimed to all, only God is great. King Louis XIV thought pretty highly of himself. But King David tells us in Psalm 8 how we should see ourselves in relation to God. And that's as children. Verse 2 says, from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise. You see, children are able to trust God and without any doubts or reservations. And as we grow older, that becomes so much harder for us to do. But just like children and infants depend on their mothers and fathers for everything, so God made us to be dependent upon him for our everything. Jesus taught us to come to God like a little child. I know that I feel closest to God when I'm depending on him like a child. When I talk to God, talking just as plainly and as simply as a child talks to their own mom or dad, I feel really close to God. For you see, we are God's children, and God longs for us to let him be a father to us, to look for him and to find him right there where he already is. You'll remember one time when the Apostle Paul was in Athens and he tried to teach the Greek men listening to him that God could be known, that God could be found, that God wants to have a relationship with us. He writes in Acts 17, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives every life and breath and every, everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their import, appointed times in history and their bound, the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own prophets have said, we are his offspring. Yes, we are God's children. And our right relationship to God is to be totally dependent on God. And yet sometimes I think we might feel like a child who's been separated from her parent like a child lost in the crowd at the mall. 
It's so easy for us to feel like we are swallowed up in a universe that's as vast as ours is. Like the feelings that I had out west under the Milky Way. Or sometimes when I sit beside Lake Erie at night up at our cottage and I look up at the dark sky filled with stars and there's something about both the vastness of the sky and the expanse of that lake that makes me feel so small. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? But in the very next verses, David answers this question. He lets us know that we can know who we are completely. We are not insignificant, lost in the vastness of the universe. We are made just a little lower than the heavenly beings. We are crowned by God with glory and honor. Remember, in Genesis 1, God made people in his own image. In the likeness of God we were made. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And then God gave people a partnership with him. He gave us work to do. He gave us dominion over the earth to keep it and till it and gave us dominion over the fish of the seas and the birds of the air and the livestock on solid ground. God and human beings are partners in taking care of creation. God has given power to humans. And with power comes responsibilities. David echoes these responsibilities that God gave us in Genesis in verses 6 to 8 of Psalm 8. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. When David thinks about who the Lord is, it makes him think about people in relationship to God. We are a little lower than the heavenly beings, but God crowned us with glory and honor. So not only are people of intrinsic value because we are created by God in the image of God, but we also learn that we share responsibility with God for running the world. This is the right view of ourselves that Psalm 8 reveals to us. And yet humanity fell from grace we fell from God's original plan for people, first made known in the Garden of Eden. We sinned, and our perfect partnership with God was severed. And yet, amazingly, Psalm 8 points us forward to the answer to our separation from God. Psalm 8, verses 4 to 6, is quoted in the New Testament by the author of the book of Hebrews. This book was written to show that Jesus is the great high priest whose sinless life, whose suffering, and whose sacrifice on the cross paid once and for all the penalty for our sin. The same God who created the heavens of the earth with his fingers is the same one who took on himself a human body with human fingers. 
Hebrews directly associates Psalm 8 with Jesus Christ, the universal man. Jesus is the new Adam. He stands for all of us, and he became sin for us, yet he never sinned himself. But because of him, we are now able to also stand in his righteousness by faith. I mean, what more dramatic a statement can be made about our significance to God than that Christ died for us? He became for a short while a little less than the angels. And when he ascended to the right hand of the Father to make intercession for us, we ascended with him. We have been covered in his glory and honor. Ephesians 2, 6 says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. We are cherished by God. We are lifted up with Christ. When Christ Jesus was resurrected from the dead, the curtain in the temple that for so long had separated the people, the sinful people of God from the holiness of God was torn right down the center in two. The very thing that had symbolized the sin that had separated us from God had been ripped wide open so that we can have complete access to God through Jesus Christ. We can have a direct personal prayer relationship with God because that veil was torn in two. Because of that, we have complete and total access to God 24-7, 365 days a year. Hebrews 10, 19 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God, with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. You see, the reality of who God is and our relationship to God changes us. It changes our priorities. We no longer see ourselves as the center of the universe, but God becomes the center of our universe. We want to praise him and give thanks to him simply for his goodness, his steadfast faithfulness, and the character of who God is. It changes our perspective. We see the right relationship we have with God, not as an insignificant speck of intergalactic dust, but made in the image of God just a little lower than the angels and crowned with glory and honor. The reality of who God is also changes our purpose. We see that we are made to give praise and honor and glory to God with our lives, and our purpose is to partner with God, not only in caring for God's creation, but also in sharing the good news of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ with everyone in the world. And of course, it changes our prayers. So how do we talk to God? We talk to him with the total confidence and dependence of a child. 
we talk to him with the confidence to go right into the throne room because Christ Jesus has torn down that barrier that had separated us for so long. We talk to God with awe and reverence and wonder, which brings us full circle in this psalm. We end in the same place where we started, in praise and thanksgiving to God. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And yet we are not in exactly the same place because we have been changed. We have grown. We have been transformed. We now see our rightful place in the universe and in the kingdom over which God rules. We are subjects, yes, but with an exalted place of honor because of Jesus. And that gives us all the reason to give all the honor to God, to the praise of his glory. Will you pray with me? O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Thank you that we can learn how to talk to you through the beauty and variety of human experience expressed in the Psalms. We worship you for the beauty of the universe you created. We humbly thank you for our place within your creation, formed from the dust, yet with your divine spark breathed into us. We're humbled that you have made us co-creators and co-caretakers of this earth we call home with you. Thank you the most for Jesus, who tore down the veil which had separated us from you for so long, so that we can know you and talk to you directly intimately and personally. We want to live our lives to the praise of your name. Amen.